Oh, you still have it. Yes. See, you you are such a tricky person, okay? Because you're such an old man texter. You're all business. Anytime I try to do something funny or just like talk a little shit where I want to like razz you a little, you go silent. And I never hear anything. You send me... You sent me a video of the, a Goops video the other day, <laughs> and you're rocking these great red wristbands. Yeah, <laughs> and I know the kind of guitar player you were about your guitars and your wrists. I already know it. <laughs> and, it was for sweat, dude. I wore. Huge and I say, <laughs> and I say, and I say, oh, do you still have the red wristband, bro? You know, trying to get into it. No answer. <laughs> no answer, Brad. You're all business. And then you text me, you're like, are we ready to go at six? Something like that. <laughs> oh, mean. Come on, Brad. I want to have some fun here, man. I was keeping it. I wanted to surprise you. All right. That is a pretty good surprise. Even though I thought that was Oscar's hand. <laughs> <laughs> I know the hand looks weird. I think it's the really? angle. That looks like a tiny little Donald well, you, Trump. You know hand, what? Brad. Like, you got to post this video onto Patreon <laughs> so people know what I'm looking at. You know at what right it is? Now. This this wristband is so old that it's like big and floppy and loose. Like even I'm looking at my arm now and it looks like my hand is small. Brad, I'm staring at this hand and <laughs> there's just no conceivable hey, way that's an adult's hand. Let me, I'm looking let me at. Try. Let me try another wristband. Is <laughs> <laughs> <Here's> my phone. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting more. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta. I love that I got the devil horns too. I think it's because that red wristband is really—it's so old. It's like floppy now. It's like old. All right, that looks a little more normal. I see the angle too is better. It's a, it's a little more normal. That was the it wristband that like started a, it all. It still, it still doesn't look like a normal hand to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was watching Lord of the Rings clips on YouTube the other day. It looks a little like Gollum's. I'm just not sure what's happening now. You have to post these on Patreon. <laughs> I gave because I feel like I'm crazy. So that red, white, and blue one, which is the classic Sid Vicious or somebody used to wear that. I gave one of those to Lit on our first tour, and then he went on to wear it. Like, and I saw every picture and video after that. I saw him with it. Well, uh, one of the red, white, and blue ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're partially responsible for Lit style. Lint, <laughs> no, for fucking Tim from Rancid. Oh, I thought you meant that band Lit, like Tim, Tim, Tim Armstrong. That's their song, right? Yeah, that's a lot cooler, Tim Armstrong. I thought you were feeding the style of early two thousands alternative. Anyway, yeah, I'm partly responsible for punk rock fashion of the nineties. I believe it. Underground. I believe it, Brad. Keeping you're a tastemaker. Keeping it on the DL. Tastemaker. Uh, well, that was uh, nice to have Andrew come on from Comeback Kids, Sights yeah. and Sounds. Another nice Canadian guy who fucking rocks hard. Yes, but different kind of Canadian. It was we brought it up in the mm-hmm. in the intro. Winnipeg's a very different place than Toronto, and oh. it breeds a very different person. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Toronto's like. You know, Toronto's like, like fucking Europe, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it's like kind of foofy in a way. It's it's awesome. It's a great town, but for someone from Winnipeg, that's like, it's like the way like someone from like Detroit would look at New York City. You know, 
It's a, it's, it's a totally different yeah, yeah, story yeah, yeah. in the middle of that country. It really is. You, yeah. you would not. I don't think it's a very big city either, is it? I mean, I've never been there, but. No, it's not. It's not a very big city. I mean, it's big for that part of Canada. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's not a very big city. It's a cool city. I've been there a bunch of times, but, you know, it is. You can see like there's a there's a tangible grit to that town, you right. know, like it's a gritty town. You can you feel it when you first come frontier, in. baby frontier. That's it. Yeah, that is straight frontier land. Yeah. And I even, you know, I didn't bring it up. You know, I'm a, I'm a history nerd. So I did a little research on the history of Winnipeg. <laughs> and, you know, there was this like very fertile area there. And of course, uh, the governors of like Minnesota and Michigan and some other places in the late 1800s tried to take it over. Yeah. Uh, and, and make it America, essentially. Right. <laughs> and they resisted and... And finally turned it into Manitoba. But anyway, that's boring. I have a confession, <laughs> Brad. I have a confession. To I tell do. You. I I like how you do get some history lessons on this show, though, Benny. So I don't think you should you should call it boring and apologize. Oh, I won't stop. Okay. You'll never stop me from being a nerd. Right. But speaking of being a nerd, <laughs> I was starting to research for this interview, and one of the first things I did was stumble upon the Wake the Dead video. Uh, that I haven't seen in years. Actually, I haven't seen it much. Like I mostly just listened to that song. I didn't really watch the video. Wait, is that the one with Frankenstein mask? Uh, no, oh. no. It's pretty much like a live, a live video, like okay. of a concert. When the guys, they're all really young, you know, like baby faced. Right. It's, it's really cool. And I don't know what happened, man. But I'm about like I'm about to hit like the second chorus. I started crying. Mm-hmm. I really did. I had this like super visceral response to I I think it was just a mixture of the song always does something for me anyway it's one of those songs that like 75% of the time I hear it it still gives me like the arm tingles right, you know right. it makes me feel something in the chorus it makes me think of something uh and I'm watching this video and I don't know if it was like nostalgia for you know, being a kid myself at a hardcore show and singing along, if it was the song itself, if it was like me longing for, you know, that live music experience right now or something. But, you know, I haven't really like emotionally taken in much of this COVID stuff in response to music. You know, I've kind of just been reacting and surviving however I have to, but it definitely made me reflect. I'm like, wow, like, this is very impactful for me right now. And like, what is it doing? You know, that's intense. That's cool. Yeah. What do you think? I, I have the same thing happen to me. There's, there's dozens of songs that like, that'll do that to me. Yeah. And a lot of them, and a lot of them, it's a time, it's a time, it's, you know, it's because they hark back to like a moment in time that they've just like affected me. And a lot of silly punk rock songs, even I'll do that. Maybe he was seeing too. It was like the the funny thing about that video is Comeback Kid was so young at the time that the crowd in the video is not exactly like a gristled hardcore crowd. You know, it's like kids their age. Right. And and some of them look kind of awkward. Right. Like they're at their first show or like singing along and maybe not knowing every word and stuff like that. <laughs> and I think that even rang with me because it's like... Nice. I wasn't some like super cool, like 15 year old at these shows. I was, 
I was fucking weird and awkward and these weird <laughs> songs made me feel good and all these other weird people made me feel good. Right. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure what it harkened back to, but I gotta, I gotta be honest. I had this really like just emotional reaction to, to hearing that song for the first time. And I had a, I had a pretty good cry, but it was one of those ones where you're like 10 seconds into it and you're like, Oh fuck am I crying? You know, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like kind of those quick, like, wait, wait, wait. There's something else at work here. Are you okay? Like, I just started talking to myself. I'm like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be crying in a comeback video. You might not be all right right now, you know? <laughs> it's okay, man. It's different times. Different times. What What is a song that gives you, like, what's a song that you could go to to get that response anytime you want? What I thought of, like, would do a similar kind of thing with me is um, Sync with California by Youth Brigade because I listened to that a lot when I was really young and it was, you know, with pro and down with the boys, man, singing along. And I know there's something about that melody. I just love that song. It's a great anthem. It's a classic punk rock anthem. See, and of course, when you say that, I imagine a 14 year old version of you basically in like the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> With like a cassette player, like under a starry sky, just like, ah, this will be my future. <laughs> my biggest connection to Youth Brigade was when I first went to L.A., one of the guys from that band was my weed connection. Oh, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Because <laughs> I wasn't a California resident. I couldn't just walk into a shop, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was nice. still still in the black market. Whatever, you know? whatever, whatever it takes. And you know what's funny? All right, I'll tell a quick story about this because it's a, it's a good lesson for life, okay, this story. It was, it was like my first night in California on this one trip. I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want to say any names. But I'm going to this guy's apartment complex in L.A., you know, to meet up and get some stuff. And uh, I'm driving the van, the big 15 passenger, which is not in my name in any capacity. The registration's not my name. Insurance is in my <laughs> name. And I'm going around a corner and I fucking bump a car. Um, yeah, just a car that was sitting there. And I and I messed it up pretty good. Like, What neighborhood fun- is this in in California? Do you remember? It was in L.A., um, I don't remember okay. what neighborhood we were in, but just kind of your normal run of the mill, like white two story, you know, apartment complex in LA. Got it. And I'm going around one of these, you know, there are all these miniature fucking parking lots and yeah. And I clipped the car and I took a, took a light out on the car and, you know, I end up parking. I walk by it again. I'm not going to name names, but some of the people I'm with and some of the people I was meeting, we're like, ah, you know, fuck it. Come on. Like get in the, get in the apartment. And I'm about to go in. I'm like, nah, like I can't do it. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't live with these scruples. Like it's just too fucked up. Right. I'm like, I did it. I got to take the heat for it. And I went out and I started, you know, like composing a note for the car and a, and a woman walks out. She's like, you know, can I help you? Why are you like molesting my fucking car? <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like, that's my van. This is what happened. I'm like, I'm not from here, but yeah, I'll do whatever, make it right. Like whatever we got to do, you know? And she takes a look at it and she goes, ah, she's like, you know, my boyfriend's pretty good with that stuff. Don't even worry about it. (laughs) I'm like, for real? She's like, for real. And, and 
I, I always felt like that was a little bit of a, you know, one of those graces of humanity where like it does pay to do the right thing. Oh every yeah. Once in a while. Sometimes you know it really does. Yeah. It, it, yeah. She saw that you were doing the right thing. She let you off the hook, dude. She, she had empathy. She's like, you know, you didn't mean it. And if, you know, what if I, uh, bailed on it and she took to security footage or something like yeah, that, you know, that wouldn't be a good deal. It's always a better way. None of this has anything to do with comeback kid. I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, or Andrew, but or Canada. I feel or this like great interview. I feel like Andrew is the, he would do the right thing. He's that kind of guy. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd begrudgingly take the hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, this was a fun interview and, uh, and a lengthy one. Maybe we should, we should get in. Let's do it. I honestly, I truly believe that there is like a blues record in my future. I'm talking like, yeah, like I'm going to from, you know, 10 to 11 every night, like drink a handle of early times and write a very sexual blues song. You need to about. get a dobro. You need to like, that needs to be your instrument other than drums. Is you know, I, I just watched that Belushi documentary and they were talking about uh, when he, when he did the blues brothers and uh, he wasn't even like really, I guess, he, you know, that was his big dream. Like that was kind of what gave him the most like pleasure and passion, I guess. Um, but oh, yeah, like being a musician? It. No, being a blues musician. Right. Oh. <laughs> Is the Blues Brothers okay? I just never- watched it like last year and I didn't remember getting like the kind of uncomfortable tingles I got watching it than I did this time. Like, is I think it I'm more. Sh- I think I'm, I'm more into. Oh, it's okay. I think I'm more into learning about Belushi's life than his actual films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just something inherently maybe about like, I don't know. Is is that just like the model of appropriation? Like, was that the end of white people stealing the blues? Was <laughs> the Blues Brothers like like it started in the early '60s and that was the culmination? Of like. Oh, okay, the Blues Brothers are two white guys. I see. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Might have been the end of it. What's going on, Andrew? How are you? Chilling, chillin', man. Uh, I just uh, flew back home from uh, Winnipeg. I live in Toronto. Yeah. And uh, I know, I, I, you know, I, I was catching up actually on my flight yesterday. So I know what I was getting into with this. So I listened to... Oh. Uh, so I listened to Vogel's interview and Chris Cresswell's. So oh, now yeah. I know like what not to double up on. You did a little legwork. Okay, that's wow. good actually, because now you know what not to cover about Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I, and I and I know that you know when we are about two hundred and twenty pounds, I'm not sure if we should be stage diving or not. That's what I was informed about. <laughs> I mean, all right, like let's get right into it. It's fresh on your mind because I had a stage diving question for you anyway. So oh, perfect. So this is from that was from the Scott Scott Vogel episode, right? Yeah, but you touched on it on Cresswell's as well. Yeah. So I mean, so I I see that actually rung rung a chord with you. Like I'm sure you've seen a lot of motherfuckers stage dive at your shows. Like, what do you think it is? What do you what do you think's the cutoff? It's all technique. I see. That's it. You yeah. Know. But but like I was gonna say, you know, you you were quick to say. Um, that you were too heavy to stage dive, you thought, and I think you, you and I are about the same st- same size, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, 
And then I was thinking about the times when I would, you know, I'm getting, you know, a little cocky on stage and I'm like, okay, it's <laughs> time for a dive to right, really, right. you know, send this one to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, yeah, but I'm maybe, maybe to others detriment. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It is. I mean, it's, it's such technique. I mean, it's those, those people who just flop their giant bodies onto <laughs> the first row, you know, giving someone like a knee to the head. Or, you know, the people who are, who are stage appropriate. You see a big crowd, you get up and you, you got to get lift. Maybe that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> Is it all about just how many inches you're getting off the ground? It's all about vertical. I think as long as it's just a sea of people, it's just awkward when like you're in <laughs> Germany and the guy's like on stage, like calling everyone, like oh my his God, hands to come up. It's like, come on, guys, come on, come on. And then oh. <laughs> maybe you get, actually, that's the fir- when I fir- first met uh, Comeback Kids guitar player, Jeremy. Uh, the guy that started the band with me. Yeah, yeah. We met when I was like, I was telling my my mom about this because um, I was in, in my hometown. But um, first time I met him, there was maybe five people body surfing me. I was maybe like 12 <laughs> or 13 years old. And Jeremy was the one holding my legs. He was a little bit older than me. And then I fell and broke my, my wrist. Oh, shit. And so that was like my one of my first shows for sure. So I, I you know, Jeremy... You know, and I met through uh, through you know body surfing. <laughs> I mean, and he he very literally the first time he met you let you down. Yeah, <laughs> he sure did. He was the only one holding me up, just like today. You know, he's my guy. <laughs> it's such a metaphor for the future. So, you guys met. You guys met back in in Winnipeg when you were when you were much younger. Yeah, yeah. Some uh, some local festival outside of uh, outside of town. So yeah. The, um, he was one of the first people I met and, you know, we weren't really tight friends, but then, uh, through heart, you know, being in the scene and stuff, we started figure four, or I did figure four, right. an old band. And then he joined that later. And then we started okay. to come back in shortly after. So that's awesome. Did, was this, uh, was this crowd surfing event at one of the, the famous Royal Albert shows? No, it was an outdoor festival. Oh, okay. only, there, there, I think I landed on hay, but still broke my wrist. So. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> So, all right. So let's get this out of the way now then, because this was part of my questioning. What is your personal best stage dive in history? And what's the best stage dive you've ever seen? Like, does anything stand out in your mind? Like the best one that I've ever done? (laughs) Yeah. I've never really had uh, good ones that for like bands other than my own. I don't think. Oh, okay. I'm not really skilled like that. I'm pretty awkward. But like, like I said, you know, like if it's a really, really packed show... Um, and then I start feeling it, maybe I'll be able to like, let myself go as the singer. You know what I mean? But (laughs) (laughs) as a fan, it like, it would have been so long ago. Yeah. And, uh, and it would have been probably pretty bad. (laughs) Is, is a head walk appropriate? At one time, I I mean, Hey, if your if your feet are light enough, uh, (laughs) I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, you know, it's wrong. Maybe. Yeah. It's technique, I guess. I've seen people go and then no one's, no one's upset about it. So, you know, I know, I know, I, I, but that's the thing I'm telling like, is, are we ever going to have that again? You know, is, are these conversations, yeah. you know, it's a thing of the past maybe. <laughs> so I think, I think we'll figure out a way to responsibly headwalk again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's you know? hope so. Like these are Let's the things so. that people are really try, trying to get with their lives. If you're six feet tall, you can headwalk, right? Uh, I don't, six feet, uh, six feet of distance. Come on. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. I guess. Yeah. Your mouth is six feet away from yeah. other people's mouths. Right. 
if you're fully extended. It's very <laughs> well, the, smart, the, Brad. Good for you. You were talking about, um, you know, in previous episodes, like old deep watching old DVDs and stuff like that, or sorry, old VHSs of shows. And I remember like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen those old like CBGBs shows from like, you know, even like the late nineties, like sure. in the like 25 to life era or like, you oh know, bands God. like, yeah. and just like the, the, the dancing and, and walking is, is awesome. You know, it was, people yeah. have, to, they, they could walk over like, a thin row of one row of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't need, they didn't need much real estate to get going. (laughs) Exactly. I I remember the terror I had at the first time I went to like a proper, like big hardcore show around here. And it was cause, uh, you know, I was like maybe 14 or 15, but I was allowed to take the train to Philly because my sister was going to college there. And she, she went to a sorority, not exactly a, uh, a hardcore girl. And, but part of the, the rules about uh, me being able to go down there was that she had to chaperone me to a show. So her and her sorority friend chaperoned me and another 14 or 15 year old to the university of the arts to see Cro-Mags, Snapcase, um, one, of, I think it might've been an early like H2O show a band called X can and X and strangely, I was there to see a Jersey like pop punk band called Doc Hopper. And I was like sort of interested in the other bands. <laughs> and Chromags ended up canceling. I don't know. I, I don't know for whatever reason. And Snapcase picked up the torch and played a few Chromag songs. And I remember just the second they started the feedback for something like Off Age of Quarrel, the place just exploded in a way where like I had only gotten the local hardcore shows before that. And I saw that and it was like absolute terror. There was just one hour of me just glued against the wall, (laughs) just watching Uh, these like grown ass animals just thrash each other and do walls of death and all these things. But the funniest part about it was watching my sister afterwards being, what the (laughs) fuck was that? When you're first exposed to it, there's nothing like it really. No, that's what that. Yeah. I I think just like kind of, you know, transitioning into, live music again it's just gonna again it's that's this is a that was a very romantic time those 20 years that we had or whatever of pits you know <laughs> right yeah. i think that we'll see how it, 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 you know bands like like you know heavier bands kind of notice it the most because a lot of the show is about the crowd yes going off you know what i mean yeah so, sure so we'll see we'll now, see what f- happens for you back in the day, like, you know, you've been at this, this, this hardcore thing for a long time. Like that moment I had in Philly, do you, do you have a, a clear like moment when you first, you know, had that, that sheer terror and excitement of a, a hardcore show and kind of got, got sold on the whole thing? I don't think it was terror rather than excitement. Um, going to see, I think, you know, I grew up in a Winnipeg, which is a small city in the yeah. middle of Canada. Um, the biggest or the, sorry, the closest big city would have been like Minneapolis. Oh, okay. So when I was like later on in high school, able to drive down to the States, um, and I would, you know, I, I think I saw Harvest's last show. Oh, nice. um, that was the first time, you know, Bane was new out, Walls of Jericho, Nora, like that kind of like trust kill, sure. you know, beginning of the trust kill era. Um, and going down there and be like, okay, you know, American kids like moshing and like, uh, there was, right. uh, yeah, there was a a festival, a couple of festivals that they did down there. Um, but yeah, no, it was just I mean, I'd never seen wow, like such style with 
with uh, with slam dancing before, you know, as a as a teenager. So it was all very cool to me. And what was going on in Winnipeg at the time? I mean, was was it like all bar- was it all bar- propaganda? Def p- propaganda, then like bargain bin, bargain bin versions of that right, of the right. of the stylish dancing, some track suits, and you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what what was the hard? Was there like not a hardcore scene in Winnipeg at the time? Uh, no, there was, there was, and we were, I was lucky to have, we had, uh, our version of CBGB's at, did you say the Albert before? Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering yeah, yeah, what yeah. your, what your memory from the Royal Albert was. Do that, you want to explain to people what that joint was about? Yeah, that was, um, Winnipeg's pretty much CBGB's and in, in a way that where, you know, when I was a teenager, we had, uh, all ages Sunday matinees happening oh, there with yeah. punk bands, hardcore bands, uh, oi bands, you know, so that was kind of a cool way to get exposed to not only um, like punk and hardcore, but just other facets of that. And, you know, there would be like a a street punk band playing with a metalcore band or a hardcore band. So, um, you know, lots of different types of people coming out and that's what kind of made it cool. Cause we weren't really having as many uh, touring bands come through at that time. And like you, I was, I was impressed to hear that you uh, like put on shows when you were like 15, 16, because I definitely did that. And just like I said, I was just in my hometown. I'm just kind of thinking about that. Awesome. Um, how old I was, you know, being like literally 15 years old promoting a show or I passed yeah. by uh, by uh, an old like garbage hill and I, you know, on my way to a rental car place, I was walking and saw this, uh, you know, this hill where there was a festival. I think I saw propaganda there for the first time for my first time in about 95, 96, John K. Sampson was still in the band. And so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool just to kind of think about that. I don't really think about that very, very often, you know? So, yeah, yeah. It's fun to get back to that place. And what, what was the connecting factor to you? Like, how did you go from, you know, uh, uh, you know, normal kid to, to someone into punk and hardcore? Like what, what, what led you down that path? Um, my older brother, uh, got me into, uh, his friend came over and sold me a I spy propaganda splits CD. Oh yeah. I remember that. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And I, I grew up, uh, you know, like, like in a church family as well. So I was into that, uh, up until, you know, when I was a teenager, but yeah. propaganda was, you know, I was into the, also like the, some of that Christian punk and metal and hardcore stuff in my teenage years and uh propaganda kind of opened my mind to like you know human rights issues at an early age and kind of gave me like that was a really a good way to kind of uh be able to kind of like dig into like punk rock a little bit more and just uh the values that it held so I, was, yeah. I think i was lucky to be in winnipeg and kind of realize some of that stuff early on sure. um, yeah and then you know be able to form my own opinions on that so how is that with, um, you know, with your family? You said you grew up in a more of a church family and both your brother and you at a pretty young age were starting to, you know, maybe not make a left turn from faith, but at least, you know, get into some more, you know, subversive activity or what is deemed as subversive. How, how is that? How is that taken at home? Yeah, I think it was just, uh, you know, we were still doing positive stuff with our lives. And uh, right. just, I think doing music for like someone from, from my family is that's the dream, you know, we're, we're all about music and nice. uh, happy to be able to be doing it in any capacity at this point. You know what I mean? Were your, were your parents musicians or, or interested in music? Yeah, definitely. They do uh, a bunch of music themselves. So 
What kind yeah, of stuff? The whole, uh, they they do like church music pretty much, and actually, my oldest oldest brother like leads a church band. Oh, that's well, awesome! So some of those know, bands rip. That's some of the best <laughs> drummers I've ever seen. Dude, it was funny because I was uh, staying at my mom's house the other day, and I was sleeping in the guest bedroom, uh-huh. my mom and dad's house, and they they were like watching their church service on online. Yeah, and there was one song that was going over and over. And I heard it in the other room, and I'm like, "What is that song?" It was a Duran Duran song, or um. <laughs> Uh, a Pink Floyd, comf- is it Comfortably Numb? Yeah, or, yeah. Is, uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm like, so I, like two hours later, I wake up and I say, hey, what is this song? And I try, I play both these songs. Like, what is the song that's ripping off Duran Duran or Pink Floyd? I can't remember. <laughs> we couldn't figure it out. But, you know, it's some easy chords, some uplifting stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some still waters are running deep in that church band. <laughs> like yeah. Some, nice, some easy going strumming. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now you said you said that you started touring, you know, like right after high school and never really had kind of a, a proper nine to five, right? Um, you know, you ever wonder, like, say if you kind of stayed in, in Winnipeg and uh never really started touring, you ever like kind of visualize what you could be right now? Maybe, maybe, but uh yeah, I uh I I, I I've been touring out of high school, but you know, I've always had these like little downtimes and to get different types of jobs. Um, but very, very lucky to be doing music. I mean, uh, again, just now we're, you know, comeback kids working on a new record and it's just nice to be able to be doing this. I don't know what I'd be doing without it. Maybe real estate or something. Who knows? <laughs> How can you ever know these things? Like, well, what would have I done? What have I, I spent $100,000 on school? Like, yeah, it's, it's a fool's errand to think it, but I still find it like you ever on tour and, you know, you're just driving in one of these towns, you know, that, you, you know, you've been driving 50 or 60 miles. You haven't seen anything. And then you just get to this town and there's, you know, maybe a block of, 50 houses, a gas station, hobby, hobby lobby, you know, something like that. And then yeah. go another 50 miles and there's the next one. And I can't, I can't help but go through that exercise sometimes, you know, just like, what if, what if I was born and raised in this town and like, you know, uh, what, what would I be like? Am I the person I am because of the person I am? Or am I just like some culmination of my surroundings and experience you know definitely a little bit of surroundings i think (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i think i'm kind of thinking about all that really right now as well because you know we think about uh you know uh being able to go on tour again after this is all done but sure um who knows you know so i'm definitely like thinking of other ways to survive you know you, so what do you? You said you're working on a new record like in what capacity like is it being influenced by the pandemic um, we, we're going to be recording in January, okay. actually. Uh, so we'll have some new music within the next, you know, few months into, um, 2021, but no, it's just, we, it's about that time. And we, we have, a, uh, you know, we're able to do, do another record. So that's kind of the one thing keeping me going right now, I'm working in film a little bit, um, on my downtime, but yeah, that's, just being, we just had our, you know, a couple sessions in Winnipeg and it's locked down in Winnipeg and now in Toronto as well. But we were right. able to meet up before it really, really shut. Um, so we were able to like kind of isolate together and, and, okay. and rehearse and stuff right. and, and jam. So we're, we're pretty far along right now, actually. 
Cool. Is this material you guys were, were working on pre-pandemic and then had to to circle back around to it or, or this all happened in, in the last like six months or so? Kind of. We've, we've kind of started it right when the pandemic started. We okay. knew that we were going to do a record somewhere around this time. Sure. We kind of thought that we'd be writing it in between tours and, right. uh, yeah. you know, everything's, everything got either postponed or canceled. So, um, yeah. So is the material so, yeah. with all this time, is it going to be better material or darker? There, we have so many songs. <laughs> we have more songs than I've ever, we've ever had right. for a record. Right. It might, it might turn into two releases. I'm not really quite sure. Sweet. It's, it's funny because, you know, we're, we're demoing as well more than ever before and doing that remotely and together. Um, but uh, just like, you know, hey, we have 17 songs or something, but how many of them are going to be good? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. And yeah. that's also hard to tell before you mix it as well. I know. So, it's okay. so, uh, which, which ones do we want to send to this person to mix? Yeah, well, which yeah. one's to that guy? Yeah. Right, right. I've been fooled so many times by a song. I'm like, yo, this is the one. This is the one. And then you get out of the studio. You're like, nope. Wasn't it's the one. The, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so you're not doing uh you're not really interested in doing Gaslight anymore is what I kind of picked up from previous. No, episodes. no. I mean it, it's not really a, a lack of interest. It's like um it's actually a full full interest when things look correct, you know, and when yeah. things feel right to do it. I think the thing we ran into is just like the classic uh you know, are you going to keep saying something if you don't have much to say? Um Copy that. So it's just like, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a uh, that's another podcast in itself. But um, and are you, but you it's not not it? from a lack of interest, that's for sure. And you know, um, like you, uh, once that if, if that vacuum of being in a room with people and writing music and getting songs together isn't happening, you know, I feel that d- deeply in my soul. So luckily, still got Mercy Union going on. We're putting the uh, the second record together like pandemic style, um, but no, it's it's never a lack of like not wanting to do it. It's just not wanting to do things until until they really feel right, you know. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I love Mercy Union shit. That's awesome. Thanks. I know um, we were almost going to do some shows together, right? We were. We were. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, you know. <laughs> so how's it going to um, work with um? With the new, so last record came out in 2017, right? So something like that. Yeah. You'll be looking at 2021. I had read that now you have more songwriters in the band and you were getting like uh, 10 demos a day. Is that, is that- <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, Stu, our guitar player, yeah. if you know, you know him. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a machine. He's, he sent a lot. He sent a lot of demos. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, for me and Jeremy, who've been, you know, predominant songwriters before we kind of okay uh, okay and i gotta step up and get some of my songs on on the record you know right right so, right. that's a good kick in the ass sure uh, but yeah but between everything we, we we have a few like leftover but we have a bunch of songs so it's kind of wild like when there's so much material to kind of go through you just it's it's just a lot so that's kind of what we've we've done um as a band and uh yeah, I'm a really, I'm really stoked. It's, I'm, you know, just home right now and just trying to write lyrics to it. Everything will probably be demoed like before, which is super. I mean, usually we get as much as we can done, right? And really rough, but I'm usually writing lyrics like right up until the point when I do them on the record. Oh, really? But this is this is going to be a bit different, and uh, I've we've kind of yeah, like a lot. We've allowed 
like the whole band is kind of in on it. For example, the other night um, I was doing vocals on a song that Jeremy had written um, and just kind of working on the, on the chorus and it was going really well, but you know, I was, I've been kind of pushing the guys, but Hey, do you guys have any ideas? Let's like shoot out some other like chorus ideas right? Um, and other parts. And, you know, even stuff that I can get a little married to, um, I was able to kind of let go and, and, Oh, wow. Actually that idea, Chase, Hey, that you gave me that idea, that idea is better than mine. Oh, Let's cool. use that. And, and it, I just love the, it, it feels really good to be able to kind of like write together as a band. Cause I think we've not been able to always do that. Um, hmm. it's been a couple of us kind of like steering the way. Oh, um, I and see. So it's just, just a little bit of a more like, Hey, like, you know, just everyone's kind of contributing. And I think it's, it's, it's really cool. So. Is that a new thing for you? Like with being a, a little older and having the wisdom of kind of being able to get le- less married to parts and more open to suggestion? Yeah, I, I think I, I need suggestion. I, I'm, I'm very much welcoming. I'm, hey guys, put your producer hats on for this one. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing some scratches, some demos and stuff. Let's let me know what you think. You know, I just kind of want to make it as good as possible. We're, we weren't, we're not really able to get a, uh, the producer that we wanted to come up to Canada, you know, for when we record because the borders closed. Oh, right. Yeah. So, you know, every, uh, all the help that I can get, you, we don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, but no one's like oh, stepping over any boundaries or anything. So I see. So the plan is to, to, to do everything up in Canada and then send out separately to be mixed to, to different people. Yeah, probably depending on how much material there is that's good <laughs> right right so, if you're going for the play. double album or not we'll <laughs> see you know you want to time it up right for when the shows happen so that, don't not, do not the like double to, album not, man no don't no not it. to release not to release but i don't want to be like releasing <laughs> music and then a year later we have to you know we start playing it would be nice to kind of space it out so yeah you know, there's some stuff like you know in a few months and then maybe down the line a little bit more and then you know, it's time to tour. So hopefully we'll see. Is, is the, the situation now going to, going to change your approach to, you know, how you would normally like roll it out and are you going to put a, any extra onus on like, you know, the digital packaging and video and stuff rather than, you know, the hard production? I think we're going to have to. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking the other day about like live shows and what that might look like. Um, you know, cause everyone's doing those, the live streams. Some people are doing more extravagant than others. Yeah. Um, but you know, what if it's like, if it is less, less people in a room, what if it's, you know, bands staying and, you know, say we do a Canadian tour and we're in Toronto, maybe three nights instead of one and spaced out shows, maybe spend a little bit, a bit of extra money on the production mm-hmm. of the show somehow, right. just kind of make it a little bit cooler. Sure. Um, that's kind of where my head's at with that. Who knows? I'd, it would be nice to kind of have a plan and not be the followers on that one. But <laughs> Yeah. And, and you said, so you have some access to sort of really uh, professional uh, video equipment, right? I saw that somebody in sights and sounds is, is a pro video person and, and you have access to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have, we have friends here that work in film, so there's, there's ways to, I guess, get stuff done. Hopefully, you know, uh, it's funny. We've always kind of like done videos in Europe. (laughs) I have friends in Europe that, uh, you know, Germany that do some videos for comeback kid usually. So, uh, you know, we'll have to kind of figure out how we're going to do it 
in Canada this time around. Right. We're, it seems like we're stuck here. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, it seems like you, you, there's, you, like, it, how, what's going on over there? You just kind of chilling? Not, not chilling, but things are, are, is it shut down there? Is it Yeah, like- I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, especially in New York, New Jersey area, it's sort of gearing up towards kind of the, what it looked like again in like March and April with, you know, restrictions going up. But it's not quite as scary because I think, people have a little bit better of a sense of, you know, what's safe and what's possible um, when you are being safe. So, uh, yeah, but the idea that uh, Americans are going to be able to freely travel anytime soon seems like a fool's errand. <laughs> yeah. Know? I don't know if I'm coming to Canada anytime soon unless yeah. Ian Perkins smuggles me up or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, or you have to like quarantine for a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's still my plan, you know, is, is, you know, is is to go north if I have to. (laughs) Will you take me in, Andrew? I would. I would. As long as Trudeau lets you in, you know. (laughs) I'll call him personally. (laughs) Yeah. Or or we can smuggle you you up somehow. So what's your story with writing? Um, Are you, are you kind of constantly writing? you know, not just lyrics, but just ideas and concepts, or do you kind of wait till there's music and and that's sort of the impetus to do it? Um, yeah, you know, a lot of voice notes and that'll be a lot of, that'll be riffs and like vocal stuff. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I, I like to write songs with a vocal idea in mind, but then, you know, I know that others in my band will write, you know, songs without a vocal idea. And that that's kind of what sometimes if I'm a little bit stuck on a riff that someone else is really jazzed on, like, so what, what would you sing over this? Like, mm. that's, I like to like find out what, like, and that's kind of one thing I've been doing lately with this record is like asking my band members, like, so what do you hear here? Because, and before I even like kind of tell them my idea, it's nice to, it's nice to just have a few different options and see it because, you know, sometimes I, I've, I found this so many times, like Jeremy had a song, that we actually recorded for Die Knowing in 2014. Um, and it just, and I never ended up singing on it. I just couldn't connect to it. I couldn't really. And then he somehow reworked it and brought it again this time. Hmm. Um, and actually just after just thinking about it more, I was able, now it's like a song that I'm pretty pumped on for this new record. But uh it's just a lot of mush mouthing into my phone, coming back to those ideas. Uh, try, and it's always, you know, a lot of times, you know, finding things that match with like my uh, my delivery or vowels, stuff like that. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's great when you can find the, the, the song sometimes shows you the direction that it wants to go. So, yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about that because I saw in another interview you you had said in reference to writing songs that sometimes are about depression or addiction or your own self-deprecation that the songs kind of find you before you find them. I, I found that interesting. Could you elaborate like kind of what that means? Totally. I think that you just kind of, I'll, I'll start a song with maybe a, a, a lyric or an idea that I go off of. And then just through that, um, when I'm writing thoughts down, I'm, it sometimes takes a different kind of shape or meaning. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't, it's, 
I don't love writing lyrics, but a lot of times I'll find myself doing it kind of like chuckling to myself, you know, (laughs) I I, I literally have like 20 songs to write lyrics for right now. So I'm really an author here, just pacing around my house and smoking (laughs) weed. Um, It's I've been sober now for like three weeks. So this is like, I'm, I'm, I feel like that's kind of a superpower right now for me. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm zeroing in on some of this stuff. Um, zeroing in on like, on like what you want to write about or your own kind of personal situation. Zeroing on, on, on what I want to write up. I'm just, just into this record and, and just, uh, and I'm, I'm feeling really, really good. This, this quarantine's really, or this kind of time in, in, in life is definitely, I think it's helping me along in general. And I can't really like articulate it very well, but mm. it's just, uh, it's helping me zero in on things that I really like want to be doing, you know? That's awesome. And what, what was the impetus to, to get sober a few weeks ago? I've been trying to get sober. I try to get sober like, you know, all the time. Yeah. Well, I gotta, you know, maybe take a break here. It's yeah. Like, right. Like a little break. So is that yeah. part of like your songwriting process? Kind of like this sort of push and pull with your own like emotions and, you know, Definitely. even addictions, I guess. Definitely. What is, what did I hear the other day that I wrote down? I liked what calling yourself on your own shit. Chris just said, uh, when I was listening to your podcast, ah, yeah. um, it resonated with me. Um, Stu again, you know, I was, Stu had a song, our guitar player, Stu, uh, that I, again, I was like, Oh, whatever, you know, can you send me, he sent me a voice note, um, just with some, you know, vocal patterns and stuff. And it totally changed the song. I'm like, Oh, okay. now I could, see that this song could be really cool. Mm. And I used some of his ideas and he even just kind of gets, wrote me a text about some of the stuff that he was feeling and some of that same kind of sentiment about what Chris was talking about, calling yourself on your own shit and like um, just admitting some of the shitty behavior that you may have had. Um, and I was able to turn something like that into a song. And oh, uh, cool. I don't know. It's a lot of, the, a lot of the lyrics is definitely like internal stuff. You know, we sometimes when I feel like I try to talk about, world issues it definitely dates it somehow right, yeah. right, right, right. and i don't want to do that all the time i don't want to I, I i there's some there's some demos already for this record that I've, i'm already like mm, you know i wrote that like four months ago and it's maybe i don't want to write have that it's already sounding dated sure. you know what i mean yeah 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 i mean i i remember growing up like getting into punk and stuff and just being like who the fuck is margaret thatcher you know <laughs> I'm like, you know, and just these random like names. You're right. Like, I mean, it does. And, and there's not a lot of, or just, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, just buzzwords, uh, you know, of the time that are exciting to use maybe in theory, but then, you know, if <laughs> you think back and like, no, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now I'm curious, like, you know, obviously Christianity, you know, you've stated pretty clearly that it was something you you know, we're caught up maybe when you were younger and more of a family thing and it's sort of in your past, but, but how is your spiritual outlook these days? Do do you use any parts of it that you grew up with to to help guide you or, or do you just kind of have a total rejection of the concepts? Um, no, not, it's just kind of like whatever for me, you know, it's just not part of my life, um, anymore. It's, it was, it's funny because a lot of these kind of interviews, or like conversations about 
my past or whatever that comes up Mm -hmm. because figure four, um, was kind of had that had like the Christian tinge to it. Like right. kind of a, we were like Christian fucking hate breed or something like that. <laughs> right. uh, um, there was a lot of Christian hate breeds at the time, man. You can give yourself dude, a dude ma- moshing, moshing for the Lord. Yeah. So. <laughs> I remember going to a warp tour at that time and being like, Oh, I guess that's a thing. You know, I didn't even really, really know. yeah, really. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just, I, I was, I think when I, when I, you know, was able to realize like, okay, this isn't real as a, like mm-hmm. someone in, you know, 1920 or something. I had almost been looking for reasons, but you know, that they, they, it keeps you in with fear. You know, right. if you grow up with that stuff, sure. Uh, you don't want to go to hell or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I'm free from that and who knows, man. Yeah. I feel spiritually connected to the earth, but I don't know, you know? Yeah. Did that take any like reconciliation with, with your family or they, they just kind of, no, as they, long as they, you're being they, positive and good. They support me for sure, but they, they would, they want me to come back. Yeah. To the, I'm the prodigal son. So. Right. <laughs> well, at least, you know, I'm only, I mean, I'm even, I'm jealous of people like you too, though. Cause I'm like, you have that door waiting for you if you want it, you know, it's like right there. Like, well, apparently if, if your name's written in the book of life once, then it's always there. So, you oh. know, it's all, it's all good. It should be all good unless, you know, they're taking it back. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we call, it's a mulligan. We're calling a mulligan. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's so wild though. Like, um, just how, just with the, with the virus and stuff, how crazy and, uh, polarizing, I guess that is for that community now and how mm. it's separating people even more. I feel like, I don't know if it's in the States too, but even in Canada, like this, I think now that like conspiracy thing that was really, really ramping up in the States, maybe forever, but like what, six months ago, maybe more and more yeah, um, is really affecting people um, in my auxiliary life. Uh, oh, really? In Canada over the last couple months more, like, or maybe huh. I'm just hearing about family members or, not close family members. I'm not trying to like put anyone on blast, but um, you know, or just people that kind of in my world, like that are really d- buying into this, some of these like weird <laughs> conspiracy theories, you know? So it's uh you heard any fun weird. ones, any fun ones recently? Well, no, there's just, you know, there's uh these churches are just really trying, like they're like trying to like, have church <laughs> and these are the, the RCMP people are like telling them no and they're like we're still gonna do it and uh it's yeah. just wild that they, they, uh, it's just just chill you know <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Supreme Court in New York just said that they are not allowed to prevent um religious gatherings is that right Brad um yeah, I think they're looking at it again, but the it, it's been completely misrepresented because they're essentially trying to what they were trying to say was that, you know, the argument was like, oh, you're shutting down churches, but people can go to the liquor store. But the point is that people go into church and congregate together and sing, take their right. masks off. And it's, you know, you go to the liquor store with your mask and you run in and run out. Um, uh-huh. And what the argument, which I think Cuomo made, which is a good argument, was... Um, no, well, venues are completely shut down. Like the equivalent, the non-religious equivalent of church is shut down completely. 
So essentially, like, you know, yeah, churches were actually still allowed to be open when, like, venues were not. So, um, right, right, right. So that was, so that was kind of the counter argument there. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I think they upheld it that, that he wasn't being unfair to churches. People are fired up and, Canada right now, just because we're all locked on, locked in right now. Yeah, like it's, not it's not fully, but you know what I mean. It's just it's to the point where you know they just say like, don't go to other people's houses. Um, no, no restaurants are open or you know nothing like that. So it's it's and we're we're entering winter here, so you know people are getting you know getting their opinions heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean Canada's got its shit too. I mean it's this funny thing you always hear with. You know, I hate hearing it, honestly, too. Like when you hear these Americans who are like, if it gets any worse, I'm going to Canada. I mean, <laughs> it's because my- Canada's numbers now are getting up to where America, like there's cities that are equivalent or kind of in the same range. That's why people are more concerned here. Right. Yeah, well, my sucks. first instinct is always like, all right, you fucking sell out. You know, like this is your country. Why are you just going to leave that quick? You know, <laughs> and then B, I'm like, they probably don't want you especially at this point. And then C, I've traveled in Canada enough to know that, like, I don't know if it's the correct verbiage, but you you all have rednecks too. You got plenty of them. You know, you start Tons. getting out into the middle of that country and, uh, yeah, there's not a lot going on. Alberta is the Texas of Canada. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. all Western Canada is pretty, you know. Yeah, I mean, all of Canada, <laughs> mostly, right. except for Toronto, I guess. Yeah, it's Vancouver. the same. It's like you guys are, it's coastal and it's cool. And then the cities are cool. And then everything in between, you know, that's totally yeah. That, that, uh, I think, I, what's that one? The transcontinental highway through Canada, the tra- trans Canada highway. Yeah. The one highway back and forth. Yeah. That thing has some uh, creepy spots on it, man. It really does. I've had some uh, some some twists and turns on that one before. So. I'm sure, <laughs> for sure. All right, this is a good time to get into mystery friends. Awesome. Okay, no, hold on, hold on. I, I, you guys did it the other day, but I don't know if you did it on both episodes. Oh, I, I heard the Vogel one. Yeah, and I can't remember the Chris one. Chris Creswell, I I got it, but it was so obvious because I just I got Paul Ramirez to do it, so he just nailed it in a second, you know. Okay, okay. So this is an interesting mystery, Frank, because it's it, it's it's a particular story, but from the person who told it, it's sort of a story that apparently kind of represents your personality in a lot of ways. Oh, perfect. So you were in a van ride when you were a younger person. And apparently you were sleeping and woke up and your band members were pulling into a McDonald's and you yelled something at your band. Do you remember? No. You apparently yelled, what is this? A band for 16 year olds? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and apparently this has become a long running joke for, for many, many years now. Oh, for sure. Of any time you pull off for fast food that you get made fun of for saying, what is this, a band for 16-year-olds? What is this, a band for 16-year-olds? Yeah, well, I was on tour with Sights and Sounds. We're in Europe or something. And just, I don't maybe it wasn't Europe. Maybe it was in Canada. But they just were, they kept on stopping at, you know, McDonald's or the fast food places. And 
what I meant was, you know, we're not 16 year olds, <laughs> you know, we can't be eating fast food every day. We need like something good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like, what is this? A band for 16 year olds? <laughs> I don't know. But it, yeah, but I, did, I thought that would only be like really inner circle that would know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, listen, I did some digging. Okay. And then I heard another one. We don't have to get too deep on it because of the context. But apparently, every once in a while, someone will yell at you too. Hey, no excuses, buddy. No excuses because of a song one of your old bands had. Yeah, we don't have to bring that. Yeah, one we're up, not going to talk about that. I, I know the context, and I already told yeah, your yeah. friend. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know what? That topic, no good for podcast. No fun. No fun. Yeah, so you know, hey, that's, a, that's, that. that's one thing that I left behind at 16 years old. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm yeah. <laughs> but so, but the, the thing your friend was telling me was that this is kind of encompasses a personality and something that you already said about yourself, which is maybe, you know, maybe don't suffer fools lightly, but also can, can joke on yourself and can like not take yourself so seriously. Oh, think? okay. Yeah. No, this is one thing I was going to tell you. Okay. We're not, since we're not taking, like, I'm a fucking loser with this, but <laughs> I, uh, so I was, I, I, I landed yesterday yeah. in Toronto. I was listening to the podcast, your podcast with mm -hmm. Chris, and I had just missed my train into the city. Oh, so, okay, I'm going to go down into, we can fly with weed in Canada now. Oh. So, so I, I'm like, I went down to the, so I went down to the, um, like the garage or whatever that was kind of open and rolled a joint, start smoking it. And then I went back and then I realized like, oh shit, you know, I was kind of getting into the podcast, whatever, kind of just looking around, making sure no one was catching me. Like, or I don't think I was supposed to smoke where I was. Right. But my mom had given me um, this bag of like farmer sausage that you can only get in Manitoba. Okay. And I was really stoked on it. And actually last time she gave it to me, um, I'd left it on the plane on oh. the way back, but this time I had it. But then when I realized, oh shit, I got to get back for the next train, I left and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I feel a little bit lighter right now. Oh no. And I left because of your podcast, I left the sausage oh. in the parking lot. I think I even stupidly, like, I don't know. I was like, I, I uh, sent to like an inquiry for the, the lost and found. <laughs> <laughs> to, to see if like oh like just a bag full of like meat like rare meat yeah. or something i wasn't like i'm like was i really gonna go back to the airport to get it but i have this weird ocd thing when i lose things and i was just like trying to retrace my steps but the classic me you know oh. what i mean this is, so it's two times in a row you haven't but, well explain but I told to my me first I told, what is farmer's sausage it's like it's a mennonite sausage thing like it's a family i don't know it's uh it's kind of like maybe it's like pre-cured i guess or whatever but you just put it in the oven for an hour my brother just moved in with me and he got this air fryer so i was all stoked to use it uh, and i I, it, I told him like hey if mom asks tell her the farmer sausage was really good oh no so hopefully like she also lurks my instagram so hopefully she won't like see this if i post it all right but, brad don't use this as the video all right <laughs> come on it's okay. so good lost sausage <laughs> lost sausage excuse and, me and airport security why, have you seen my bag of meat <laughs> YYZ has not gotten back to me about the, you know, the lost sausage, <laughs> the rare sausage, quote unquote. Oh, I feel bad. I feel bad that I'm the impetus for you losing your farmer's sausage. It's Sounds my own delicious. fault. It's, it's my own fault. I must have had it like against the wall or something. And I just, you know, I, I needed to get home. So what's the OCD yeah, the, about lost things? It's like, like 
Can you not get it back with it feeling good? Like it's been in someone else's hands. If I can just know that something's gone, then I can accept it. Like if I lose something, it's gone. But if I, there's a chance to kind of get it back. Yeah. It's, 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 it's relentless. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. So any idea who told me this story about what is this a band for 16 year olds? One of the Flatliners guys? It wasn't. I, I intentionally, I was like, you know what? I just interviewed Chris. I use Paul as my mystery friend. I can't play out the flats right now. Who else do you know? I mean, oh, Tanner? No. no. I love this because like, I went deep. I went deep into your world, buddy. Because I was trying to, yeah, I don't, I was trying to think about the times we hung out. Yeah. I'm just coming back mostly to like Germany or something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But, all right. So you want me to give I have it no up? Idea. Yeah, yeah. The proprietor of your favorite bar in Toronto, Sneaky D's, George oh, Dimenturo. Oh, perfect. I know. George. I got him. So this is how I got him, though. I text Ian Perkins. Okay. And I say, Ian, do you or Angela know Andrew well enough to give me a silly story? Ian's like, bruv, bruv, I'm not sure. You know, we hang out, but I, I don't know. Like, and he didn't have yeah, anything yeah, yeah. off the hand. And he's like, I know who to call. And he what connected He connected me and George. And we texted. We spoke on the phone for a minute. And he, he, gave, me, he gave me this funny story about you. Oh, these are deep cuts right here. Yeah, I went in <laughs> on you, man. Listen, yeah. I know I've said this to you in person before. Comeback Kid's a very important band to me. And this was a very important interview for me to get. So if anything nice. I could do... I wanted to come through on the mystery friend, you know? Well, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Um, yeah, George, you know, it's funny too. I, I've, I've also, I wonder if you'd, you know, if, if he said, if he said like one time I was up going up to him, cause a lot of my friends have worked at sneaky D's. Right. It's not, it's a staple. And one time I was at like at hard luck, his other bar, just, right, you know, yeah. you know drink, drinking, whatever. He's like, George, I'll never work for you. I don't work for you <laughs> or something like that. L- literally like two months later, I started doing sound at like their karaoke night or something. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. was working for him. Everyone, uh, you know, he's the boss. He's the man. He said you had a pretty funny relationship like that. Something about bar stools too, with him pull, <laughs> kicking you out of the bar for pulling bar stools or something. No, that is, he's thinking of someone else, maybe. <laughs> not you. Not you. No, couldn't be. <laughs> couldn't be. Awesome. And this—it's actually his. It's actually his birthday coming up. I, I think. What so, do you? Cool. What, now everybody should check out in Toronto, Sneaky D's. If you're there. They're still standing. There Great was some uh, risk of risk of them losing their spot because uh-huh. um, of you know an investor was going to buy the the property or whatever. But it seems like they're sticking around, so that's, that's good. good. I mean they they can only do carry out now. So, oh really? It's a bummer, man. When you're yeah. when you're growing up in Winnipeg, what's the like? What's the idea of people from Toronto? Is it like uh, people from Chicago talking about people from New York? Like, are they a little shitty about it or? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, oh, really? From Toronto, or you know, someone coming back is like, oh, like I'm I'm just here visiting from Toronto. You know, right, right. It's it's it's, one, it's definitely one of those. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's a cool place to be. I Did guess, you feel like Toronto. a sellout at all? Like leaving? Like you're selling out Winnipeg? 
Not so much, but will I ever be able to be like, hey, like I'm from Toronto? I don't think so. Right. I see a lot of I see a lot of Americans do this when they move to like L.A. or New York. I know. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from New York. I'm from yeah. L.A. or something. But but I know you're from the Midwest. They adopt yeah. it really fast, <laughs> really quick. Oh I don't think God. that can fly as much here. Yeah, but it is I'm amazing how quickly somebody's from Brooklyn. I'm like, no, oh, yeah. no, no, no. You're not. Brad's kind of yeah. done that, but. He's got a couple decades in now. So I think, Brad, have you lived longer in New York than you've lived anywhere else? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Like by, by what? Like 40, 50 years now, right? By like 65 <laughs> years. <laughs> so hold on, Brad, yeah. you are the, the producer of this? Yeah. Producer and then Co- who's Arthur? Arthur? Is that, a, is that a person involved in this? No. Not, in, not involved in this. <laughs> off off the track i saw i was i was googling it going off track so oh, I mean, there is an off the track podcast which i think is about racing no, going no going off track with you sorry jonah who's jonah yeah, so oh, jonah John, yeah. and steven and i started this together yeah right many moons ago and benny was a guest and then uh-huh. benny was like hey man i'm not doing anything i'm all when i'm off so is road. this you with the with the blonde hair on this picture <laughs> i don't like, know kind of like probably I think, like yeah i think of, it is nice. i think it is yeah nice. yeah what's your story <laughs> <laughs> you can, <laughs> what is your story brad i've been, to, I've been to sneaky d's um several times <laughs> i played there in the 90s dude <laughs> with who man i was in a band called the goops and uh Hell yeah. i think the first time we went there was with the devil dogs which was a new york like kind of garage band huh. it was like the cool. first tour we ever did that would have been like 90 i think 94 maybe and where are you guys located you're, i'm you in the lower east side of manhattan nice i'm in jersey i'm in central jersey now i just moved out of jersey city by manhattan and went out to the forest <laughs> nice by so forest a he means suburbia <laughs> yeah yeah it's the forest to me suburbia with perks it is a yeah. little forest yeah it was funny when i moved out here i'm telling brad about it and he's like and i'm like yeah i have all this wood and stuff here he's like oh dude just light a giant bonfire <laughs> i'm like dude i'm and in just- a neighborhood i'm not like this isn't fucking rural maine in the 40s like you <laughs> the way, grew up you know the way you made it sound it was like it's such a city boy going to the suburbs yeah, there's, no, there's plants it, here. There are so many plants, and they keep giving me a rash. <laughs> a lot of people in Winnipeg right now in the cold got uh, fires going on in their in their yards. Oh, yeah. that's, that's what they're doing. I love that. Right in the city, loving it. <laughs> I learned how to drive like uh, from a Canadian. I, I went up uh, when I was like 19. I was playing some shows with the band Ensign, playing drums for them. You were in Ensign? I was in Ensign for a very short time. Most drummers in New Jersey were. It was kind of like a rite of passage to do like... I actually just had a conversation with Mikey from the Ergs about how it's a Jersey rite of passage to play drums for Ensign for a while. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I remember I went up and, you know, one of the better things about playing in Ensign when I was 19 was you went to Canada, I could drink, and none of those guys drank. So, so I was in this very unique situation of actually being able to drink and then all the beer being for me, which was pretty great. But then I met a few kids, nice French Canadians, and they offered to, you know, smoke some weed out in their car. 
and we had to go somewhere and it was like, you know, maybe a foot of snow on the ground. It was like pretty heavy. And these kids start driving. I'm like, is this safe? Blah, blah, blah. And they just start ripping through the snow in a way that I thought was, was going with reckless abandon. But I learned a very valuable lesson from them, which was they're like, no, 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 never slow down. Woohoo! And they're just like cruising through the snow. And I've taken that uh, all the way to New Jersey, that that's the way to drive through the snow. You can't be timid. Sounds scary. It was it, sounds very scary. It was fun. Actually, I had I just slow got down. That, <laughs> I just got that little feeling in the bottom of my stomach when I was telling you that story. Cause it was I was in a risky situation, but I got out of it. And now I have a funny story to tell. Um speaking of which, before I got in touch with George, I was going to plan B, which was going to be a mystery story. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of being in a precarious situation in a foreign country. Uh, I heard about a time you went to jail in Serbia. I did. Yeah. Yes. And and the thing you were doing is something I've done like a thousand fucking times. So it kind of made me nervous. <laughs> Can you tell me what, what happened? Of course. Of course. So, uh, yeah, we're, um, this is, I don't know what year this would have been, like 2013 or something. Um, so we're in Serbia at a festival called Exit Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, in Novi Sad, it's a fucking sick festival. It's um, it's in a kingdom, Whoa. like an old kingdom, and so there's like all these different um stages. Like some are like you know you're going down a hill, and then the wall of the of the ground of the hill would be like the wall, and then like the, the stage is like inside of these little nooks and oh, stuff. Like yeah. it's really really cool. Yeah. Um, Moby and Prodigy and bands like that are the headliners. Um, so I'm watching fucked up, um, on the main stage during the, during the day. Uh, one, of, I get some like uh hash from one of my friends. Um, and then start, I think I rolled a hash cigarette, um, you know, some tobacco and hash. I was trying to, I go to the reggae tent, try to roll a, <laughs> uh, a joint there, you know, but it, it's like the classic, like I got like so, a, a couple of random like papers, you know, my friend has a cigarette. I got like a tiny bit of hash, <laughs> right, right. you know, it's windy outside. I'm like trying to like roll this little like fucking makeshift joint. Right. Yeah. At the reggae tent, I'm sitting down in a circle and who do I just hear? Policia, policia, policia. You know, I'll never forget the feeling of these men's hands on my arms, you know, like, you know, two men holding each arm. Ugh. Like it's, oh, it's, it's very scary. Yeah. So they start taking me away. They get the, the joint, you know, it was like a, just a pathetic little half roll. You know? And are they telling yeah. you anything in like Serbian or? No, but like I was hanging out with some people. I can't re- exactly remember who. Oh, okay. Um, but I was like, they're like, don't worry. Like, it's going to be, I'm like, okay. I'm like, what's going to happen? They're like, it'll be okay. It's okay. The guys are, the police men are saying it's going to be okay. I'll, okay. So, <laughs> like, oh. so kind of go and I, uh, they put me in the car. They kind of, you know, they, they get, they pat me down and everything, but, and they kind of rough me up into the car. Not too crazy. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea where I was going. Our, uh, tour manager, at the time, Adam Caps, shout out. Um, he somehow I was able to call or text them. So they drove off with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they drove off me. with you and nobody else, just you. Just with me, wow. yeah. And then they actually they took me. They said, "Where's your passport?" So they took me to our tour vehicle. 
um, I had gotten in touch with our tour manager. He ran back there. It was like a couple miles to get, you know, so, but he, and then they, they were in, oh, I, I can't remember exactly what happened. Cause this is quite a while ago. Anyways, I get my passport. I went, actually, I got to go and get my passport from the vehicle. Um, and then they took me to this, like pretty much like it was, a the drug tank for the festival because there, oh. it was like a lot of EDM stuff going. <laughs> right. So, so, uh, they, you know, they, they were getting a lot of guys like coming in with like Molly and other kinds of drugs. <laughs> right. Um, just like right at the, at the gate, you know? So when I got there, it was like, kind of like, you know, I did the whole pictures and everything. And, uh, when I got there, it was, uh, just like uh, in a classroom full of just, you know, people that have been busted for drugs. Like a literal (laughs) classroom, like chalkboard and desks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they played, uh, (laughs) they played 24 hour party people. Yeah. And then this other German movie, with David Bowie in it and like this red haired girl, like German girl that was okay. like heroin and stuff. Wow. I can't remember the name of it, but it was like supposed to be, I think like anti drug movies. Yeah. But it's like, like you moved into some like mixture of like an Eli Roth and a Stanley Kubrick movie. This is like bizarre. It, but yeah, no. And then I, I remember they kept me overnight. I was able to like, I asked, Hey, can I like, sleep on the floor <laughs> so they, they're yeah so they sl- let us sleep on the floor the next day all of us you know people that have gotten caught with drugs i had literally 0.3 grams of hash oh my God. so um yeah so i went they they kind of got us all out and they've shoved us into this vehicle that was too small for all of us kind of some of us like crouched out stand standing and stuff we all go to the courthouse await like you know to get my court thing and then they just kind of asked me like oh where'd you get it from um whatever i know that guys that with with a lot less than me got charged less than me sorry with a lot more than me like weed or something got charged less but maybe i don't know why you know they kind of kept on asking me questions they didn't they like made me pay like 400 euro or something and then i was able to go and i remember being like i'm never gonna smoke again outside of canada or like (laughs) but of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah wears off. I don't want this story to go on too long, but like actually, no, this is an incredible story. (laughs) So we, it was luck. We were lucky because we, we had two days off before we were supposed to play this festival. Oh, okay. So we were supposed to, we were on tour with Defeater. We're just chilling out. So this was just a chill day too. You were just at this festival straight. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily we had like two days off. I missed the prodigy though. That sucks. Bummer. But, um, (laughs) so we were starting, we, we have the chance to play the show. And this is a couple of days later. I made it. So I didn't miss any shows, which is very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, and then we did the show. It was awesome. And then I remember at one point I see like some, some cops come or no, no, sorry, security come to the side of the stage. They tried to get cops, but I see security on the side of the stage and we had like one more song. We do like wake the dead usually like towards the end of the set. Yeah. And I'm like on the, on the monitor, you know, or like on the, some sort of platform in my glory. Like <laughs> we said, we said, you know, and uh, fucking these security guards come up on stage and try to like, like wave me down. I'm like, whatever. No, no. Yeah. You know, kind of like shooing them off yeah, like, yeah. Everyone, like, oh, and everyone's singing it. I'm like, no, no. And I come down there. Like, Please. So I come down. And they, they start like taking me off stage and I'm like, fuck exit festival. Like I, I say it in the mic. And as I go in the corner, our tour manager there and like some of the other guys in my band, they're like, fuck, we're just fucking with you. Huh? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, 
So yeah, they kind of like I thought that I was gonna be in, gonna be in trouble again, and like they were taking me away again, oh. and just fucking with me. So it was pretty funny. Oh, that's pretty bad. <laughs> Woo. Oh man, that's yeah, a, it was, that's it was rough... pretty intense. One more little tidbit: yeah. I was there going through with uh, Comeback Kid a couple years ago, and we had a driver from Serbia, and we decided to get him because uh, you know we're going through Eastern Europe, and he he'd be good. At, you know, we're in a van, sure. And, you know, to talk to the border guards, definitely. He was kind of like joking around with the border guards um, in, when we were going through Serbia and they like ended up like going through everything of ours. Like, really? Like they, yeah, they went through our whole thing. Like, they're like, yeah, this guy, like, you know, he's like, oh, this guy got, you know, arrested or what a little, and they're like, why'd you get arrested? And I had to tell. So they, I don't know why, I don't know whose fault it was, but we definitely got our whole van like, checked and you know all our our you know bags kind of undone and uh-huh. everything this last time we were there so much for getting uh, but, a serbian know, driver huh <laughs> but it was funny last time you know when i was in the court i said can i come back to serbia they said yes so okay. i knew and I, i've been back a few times and it's kind of a special story yeah, no, it's kind of nice well it's a special you, you always got to come back now after that you, you're gonna get <laughs> yeah, a statue definitely. there <laughs> there is a uh, uh, comeback kid monument there, or not very big, but someone did do like a nice big mural for us. So, oh, really in Serbia? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned "Wake the Dead." Uh, you know, a song <laughs> of note, as you know by you. Um, now, to me, I deem this one of the like ten most classic hardcore anthems of all time. You know, there's oh, like right. a, a small list to me of like hardcore songs that are proper anthems, you know, and this is one of them. Like, do you remember what the process of, of writing that song was like where the initial ideas came from? And, and when you, when you all were finished with that song, did, did you know it was a special one? Did you know it was the the highlight of that record or, or did that take a while to kind of surface? I think that was pretty obvious for us that it was like the title track at least. Right. Um, Scott had the idea, wake the dead, our old singer. Okay. I used to play guitar yes. and come back in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember writing the lyrics for that song with him in the kitchen of the blasting room, Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore studio yeah. where we recorded that. Um, we recorded that record in two weeks. It was so awesome. They, they really, they, we, we had met those guys was when Bill was playing an only crime. Oh, cool. And, uh, he, he even like, you know, the Bane guys, I think, introduced us and he even put together like a compilation CD of stuff he'd done to like. Bill sent you a, a compilation of, of what kind of stuff? Um, Just of stuff that he'd done, like, like uh. other records that he, because, you know, I knew that he had, you know, was from Descendants and Black Flag and stuff. And I know he'd done all these great records, um, but more in like the pop punk world. So right. I just wanted to see, you know, I think one of the songs that was standout there was, ah. Oh, the, he had some stuff that was a little harder edged. Right. So he was just trying to prove to like he could do a, a heavier record to you. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. And it, it worked out really well. Yeah, no shit. Um, and uh, a couple funny things about wake the dead. Um, we weren't sure that there was going to be like singing, singing on it. Oh, okay. So Scott, like the first, co- like the last court, like outro, like thing, you know, it's a kind of group sing along that was all intentional. But Scott would kind of um, just kind of shout the lyrics more instead of he wouldn't really sing. Right, right. But the chorus of Wake the Dead is kind of a version of it. And actually, Bill used um, 
this tune, this like analog tuning thing. It's like a wheel. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever you've ever heard of these things before, but it's like old school. But it's before you know any kind of auto tune. Yeah. But I think he kind of like adjusted some of Scott's shout in that first chorus with oh. this time was gonna be different. Yeah. You know, just he he may have adjusted it quite uh, subtly on that on the wheel, which is such a cool little. Oh wow thing that i think yeah um to kind of give that a little bit that chorus a little bit more melody cool and then um you know we scott and us we did second guess the 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 outro sing-along we were like is this too melodic you know (laughs) we definitely had that conversation but the hardcore guilt yeah the hardcore guilt and then you know add we we decided to do it then jeremy said to add the harmony and then it was you know we're on our way to uh, you know Empiricon Festival or something. Right, like right. <laughs> and w- and when you when you guys started playing that song live, was was it again like an automatic kind of just like all right, this one's this one's a little different. <laughs> yeah, this one's that was be on. They really uh, that one was on this like victory sampler, right? Um, and they put us first on it. Um, you know, it was it that was the song right away. And to the we knew it already because we had, we went on tour in Australia and the song maybe had just come out. Okay, the record the record wasn't out yet, but the first time we ever played it, I remember, was in Melbourne or something like that. And it was just like we didn't know if we if we would play it or not. And then it w- it went off. I guess it was just on that um, sampler, but somehow you know people had it already. That's why we weren't really sure. We hadn't even been playing it on that tour, right? Um, and then yeah, shortly after that we toured with we did a tour with bane i think when it came out and that was like really the 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 first like time we're like with wake the dead we're like okay wow we're like in a band here <laughs> like people give a fuck about so is i mean were you 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 all were were, were you full-time prior to that you were already kind of going for it full-time right yeah pretty much yeah for sure so um then the, yeah kind of kept on going from there. I don't know, maybe figure four kind of figure four it stopped. Cause that was the band me and Jeremy were doing before that. Yeah. Uh, we would, we kind of stopped around 2004, you know, and then when come, when the comeback hits first record come out, it, w- it was both bands touring. And then that kind of stopped pretty much when wake the dead came out. Gotcha. Now, like mm-hmm. sp- speaking of writing that song, what what's like the recipe for a great hardcore song? Like what, what needs oh, to I've be been, in a great hardcore song to make it a great hardcore song? I've been trying to figure that out this whole writing session, yeah. man. What? <laughs> um, what? It, it depends, I guess. What kind of hardcore are you trying to write? Well, I mean, I guess for you, you know, or? for for comeback kid hardcore, like what? What's something that you know? Say, for instance, uh, you know, you're truly a band who understands speed, right? You know, like um, yes. And- Energy is one thing we have to keep in our minds. We don't want to lose that, the the energy, right? Uh, speed is something like fast songs and octaves are things that I don't always want to bring to the table because mm-hmm. there's so many of those coming from other members. <laughs> right. Oh, so I see. Yeah. I'm just trying to write something a little different here, you know, like sure. something a little slower, slow down the BPM, you know, like, <laughs> right. um, and octaves, uh, it's, we have a funny joke about octaves because I was like, oh, no, not more octaves, you know? <laughs> but they, they just, I've, we've built a career on octaves, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta give the people yeah. what they want. 
what is what is the perfect heart like? I don't know. What's the formula? I mean, well, it's got something to do with the peaks and valleys, you know, like like what, you apparently know, hate- it doesn't need a breakdown. Like apparently, because there's not always we don't no, you know it doesn't need a breakdown, but it needs a drastic change of pace, right? So you know, comeback kid can get away from being really fucking fast to going into a two step, and you don't need a breakdown because you have that change of pace there for you waiting. Yeah. You know, but like from the hate breed school, you know, it's like, it's, you know, they're like the closest to Led Zeppelin peaks and valleys, you know, that concept where like in every hate breed song, you know, for the most part, you're going to get this build up and this release of tension into a breakdown. A build up and release is essential in a great hardcore song. Right. I think that's a great thing to know. See, I for sure. I think that's Good what job. it is. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't need a breakdown, but you need a build up and release. It's very sexual, Andrew. Yes, and you know, I it, it, unless it's like a really fast first chorus, first chorus. I'm noticing just from for us, I don't really want to be fast if the first verse and first chorus is already fast. Right. The second verse fast. I'm going from like again, like a, from a singer's perspective. So. You, you know, we were talking earlier about with hardcore and stuff, heavy music, it's all about the crowd. So by the time the second verse comes around, if you've already had like a minute and a bit fast, mm. you're going to need to change it up. Yes. By then. Yes. For, for sure. It gets too relentless. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, not always. Like if you're listening to Razor or some thrash stuff, you know. Well, yeah. But so if cool. you're if you're going to keep it that fast and relentless, you got to put what? Two minutes tops for the song. Yeah, I'm 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 still we're we're keeping this new record all the songs like under 230 mostly. Oh. And I'm I'm really happy about that because there's been records in our past some that I don't like, some that I like, but but there's been times when we're like fuck like really trying to keep it under 330 but some of these songs are really going long. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we have a really long bridge or intro <laughs> that's really keeping it long. Yeah. But we're very aware. <laughs> well, you guys you you're one of the few bands that I love. You know, I um, I I practice drums by playing along to other people's music. That's always just how I've practiced, and uh, nice. And I love Comeback Kid, and I can't always play along to some of the songs I like because some of them are just too fast. You're one of like oh. three bands I truly love that I don't always love playing drums to because it's like. It's like a fucking workout. I just can't do it. There's many, many different kick patterns, right? <laughs> but one that we will never do is... I don't want that. Oh, well, that's the punk one, that's, right? That's not cool for me. That like, especially with a double kick. Oh, oh that's, that's such such a fake beat. Oh, get out of here with that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I know exactly like what you're talking about. It's making me cringe. It's one of the ugliest oh, I know. beats around. Ugh. <laughs> It's funny, yeah. Uh, we've yeah, I've, I've had uh, times when our old we had um, my buddy Jesse, who played drums with us for a little while, um, come to, a, to come to a show, and he's like, I heard some of that uh, fake uh, fast beat. You know, <laughs> I was like, I'll I'll make sure it never happens again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, I remember that that was part of my uh, my stint in Ensign was like I had to do cheater beats every once in a while to just get through it. You know. <laughs> It's like fuck. Totally. I did it live. I've played a cheater beat live. I'm I'm <laughs> and now you know we're like programming all the drums in. Right. Um 
you know, so there's that. And then luckily we got uh, some, we, we were jamming with an electronic drum kit. Our drummer Lauren was using that. So we were able to kind of plug that in and kind of just edit and just really kind of now zero in on what's going to actually be happening before we go in. It's like, so it's going to be so cool just to kind of ha- know that we're documenting mm. music instead of kind of like writing on the spot, which we've done so many times before. Oh, I see. So this has mm. given you an interesting entry entry into this record kind of unique definitely it's gonna it's a kind of new way i mean we're just forced into this new way of you know we're jamming and then three of us are on different computers working on different parts for the same kind of thing you know yeah 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 it's great i i wanted to ask your insight on something that you know i've never had personal experience with but but know some bands who have um you know Explain to people who don't know, like the upsides to releasing your music, like via Canadian labels and like the things you would lose if if you didn't release through a Canadian label. Uh, You want me to talk about funding? I I mean, I'm curious. It's really something like, um, basically, I guess the question is like, if you decided to do a full deal with any of these labels where they're like, okay, you get US, Canada, Europe, you get all of them, what do you lose from Canada if you decided to do that? If you feel inclined to apply for grants, right. you can, most of them, you don't want, you wouldn't be able to be on an American label or have Americans own your masters in Canada. Mm. So we've always kept our ourselves um you know you would see us right now we're on nuclear blast so we're on nuclear blast everywhere except for canada right um and dynalone new damage uh was doing our records there um and this next one we'll see what happens here with that um we'll have them involved as well but um for some reason when you apply for any kind of grant thing they want you as a touring album anything they want it to be owned in Canada. So that's why we'll always kind of have, you know, in the past it was, you know, victory all over the world, except for Canada. That's why you'll see a lot of Canadian bands with two labels. Yes. um, As opposed to just one. Right. right. So that's kind of the main thing. They just, it's just one of the things that, that, that the uh, grant companies want. Hmm. So, and, and, and ideally, ideally they want all the money to be spent by the band. And then I see, because it's, right. it, it's it, you know, when you're accessed, when you're trying to access money, you also have to spend that money first I see, yeah, and they only, yeah. they only reimburse us a portion of it, you know? So it's up to you to kind of find a lot of that um, extra little bit. Um, all right. So one thing we didn't talk about sights and sounds much, sorry, we didn't get into it too much, but um, I, I was wondering, you know, like really when you're writing for sights and sounds, like, do you feel like if you didn't have that outlet, you would need that secondary outlet away from Comeback Kid so that type of music doesn't wind up in Comeback Kid? Totally. Yeah. Um, I actually had a song that I thought was great um, for Comeback Kid uh, recently, and the guys were just kind of like, sounds like a you know a bark or a second like a b-side sights and sound song a little uh-huh. bit heavier so I, I and i always kind of like you know anytime something really like melodic creeps in i'll be like let me guess you're gonna think it's like sights and sounds eh <laughs> it's you know it's me singing so it's gonna sound something like you know 
of that. But no, you, you definitely need to, I don't mind having the idea of having another outlet. Um, Comeback Kid, luckily I've had, you know, if it was just me this whole time, yeah. we probably would have gone like a lot of different directions. So luckily you would have pulled had, a full cave in by now. <laughs> who knows, right? <laughs> I may have had not, not had the self-awareness, especially like, you know, after broadcasting, like I think that record, like that record sucks. <laughs> oh, so. that's your, your, oh, is that the second, that was that the sophomore slump? That's the, that's the proggy sophomore yeah. slump of that. Yeah. Now I know the record. Um, I, I mean, I like it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of funny, but you know, I, I could have probably gone in a lot of different directions if it was just me and I'm lucky to have like Jeremy and some of the other guys. So you think after like, broadcasting, re- that you would have jumped the shark. Who knows, man? There's some questionable things going on. So, uh, no, it's, it's so it's definitely good. And then you know, it starts like the sounds kind of has a more like epic, like rock, yes, you know, soundscapey kind of feel. It was it's good, you know, to have a thing like that to be able to work with a producer like Devin Townsend, or sure. you know, play play with pads and keys and and just sing, you know. Whereas that again, what is that? The hardcore guilt you were saying? Yes. Every time, every time I sing a melody, I feel guilt. So <laughs> Lou from, Lou Kohler uh, is yelling at me in my brain every time I sing a melody. <laughs> yeah. So and you know, so you just got to kind of ride that fine line with that. But um, uh, and even now, it's like I don't know really what sights and sounds we'll ever do after this pandemic because you know it was hard enough before, right? That um, and who knows now? But even that band kind of put itself into a corner i think you know we have to write so you know i'll write other th- songs I'm like oh well it's not really sites or not really comeback kid what's it gonna be you know so mm. it might be time for something new as well oh, so, there we'll you see. go that's fun now if when you're in a band with your brother are drummer jokes banned <laughs> are drummer jokes just mostly dad jokes though i mean they, i mean they're akin as, to dad jokes in the way that they're all horrible <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think they're they're pretty close to dad jokes yeah See, well yeah so i don't know i don't know how often they come out here but that's good Wait, what, what you got no no i was just asking i hate drummer jokes i'm not a fan i was asking if you when you're in a band with your brother are you not allowed to use them anymore like can you use drummer jokes on your own brother or is it just wrong of course is it just like no i yeah we can bust each other's balls pretty good we can get quite heated with each other and then it'll simmer very quick yeah. there'll be like a lot of yelling sure. you know if 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 we're ever so inclined or hungover or something like that yeah brother i think style. that's the one that's the one thing though like about just being sober and this is just a lot more grace you know mm. just uh especially huh. with writing and just you know there's just it's not. It's not as big a deal. <laughs> right. 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 That's one thing I'm finding. Huh. Now, wh- where do you think that comes from? Out of curiosity. Now, this is not coming from a weird place because I'm also someone who is always going back and forth in sorts of these sorts of push and pulls with substances. So, like, I, I, so I'm really curious. Like, wh- what do you mean by like the grace? Like, what is it? When, when you're when you're in that situation, what what is the feeling you get? Is it like you're less confident about yourself and your own situation? It makes you react to other people worse, or I don't know. I think just being able just to be just very present and and mm. be confident in your ideas. You know what you're talking about. Uh, sometimes I think if you're kind of coming off a night or you know maybe a some sort of you know a light bender or a 
you know, a continuous drinking stint, um, you just just end up second guessing your ideas and your your thoughts a little bit more, and maybe uh, aren't as articulate when you're coming across people across two people, you know. So um, this this has been just a really really positive time for me to like, and it's kind of opened my eyes to that. I'm not saying that I'm like sober guy now, but, <laughs> you know. It's it's a little bit of an endorphin thing to be able to like, yo, yeah, you know, this is what I'm doing. It feels good, you know. It, it you you re- release some endorphins that way, and you release endorphins when you write a song and can play it for someone. You know, it's just it's these just little things that kind of feel good. You know, yeah, totally. It's interesting. All right, this is what I want to finish on because I think I stumbled across something that could be really advantageous to you. Okay. And this is from someone who's just seen a lot of singers and seen a lot of people fuck with their voices. So I read that your vocal process on tour is to blow out your voice as soon as possible, then recover. (laughs) And then you're good for the rest of the tour. I don't, if I don't blow my voice, then that's a good thing. But if I do, I know that it's cause it's like show three or four. So I'm reading this. And my first thing in my head is like, there's got to be a better way, man, you know, than doing it like that. And now you have this window of opportunity where you're not touring, where I think, you know, maybe you could figure out another way to do it. I just don't want you to lose your voice, Andrew. I don't want you to get polyps. I don't want you to get one of those weird surgeries like when you turn 40. So I'm trying to help you here. You have a window. The only way. Only way to give me help is to, so I could hear my vocals. Just turn those monitors up, and for you know maybe for another band I would get in ear monitors, but I just I'm not gonna get in ears because I don't want to be that guy with you know front man always <laughs> fucking with my ear because I'm so sweaty. Yeah, you know as long as I can hear myself, I'm good. It always happens at those shows where like there's literally like no monitors or you can't hear it. The guitars are so loud, uh, and I I just push too hard. Yeah, that's that's time but have you have why have you seen like me with like no voice kind of thing no no i'm just as a fan of your band i'm just concerned for you and i just (laughs) i just don't i think it's worked i think it's worked pretty well for me so far okay okay this is your process i don't want to mess with the process so you're you're just judging this on things you've read or the what what is this well listen andrew we we've hung out a couple times but most of what i know about you is what i've researched on the internet (laughs) <laughs> right, so, right. That, <laughs> so that is where this came from <laughs> yeah i don't i don't have any like you know warm-up techniques i i kind of do but like sometimes but really no it's just really going with the flow it all it is is you just kind of got to dust it off at the beginning if you're yeah. not doing it for a while you just kind of you gotta um just kind of get it into shape at the beginning and it, especially because you know we don't really rehearse right, um, right before tours a lot so you know it's meeting the guys after having two months off and then okay the, my first time really singing is going to be sound check or that show and then you kind of give it your all maybe it's like 70 percent at show two and three and then four or five six that's when it really ramps up and like you're able to kind of sustain right What's the trick mm-hmm. when that happens? Just getting the mic out into the crowd a little more? Just being able to hear yourself and just, again, just having that, just a little bit of a couple shows to warm yeah. up. You know? Well, there's a reason that every singer you've seen with inner ear monitors has one hanging out of their ear, usually about halfway through the show. I think your instinct is right. 
I bailed on those what, things. It, we had them for a while and I'm done. Don't really. Yeah. I have, you know, I've had people be like, why don't you do that? But yeah, it's just, I, I already have my AirPods like falling out or, yeah. you know, it's just, I, I know that I'm too clumsy for it. <laughs> to me, it's about, unless you have like some fucking team, like a technical team and things like that, you know, for bands like us, man, it's all about just reducing variables, you know, totally, reducing variable. Totally. And you start bringing inner ear monitors and inner ears into the mix. You're just, you're just giving yourself a, a high probability for issues, you know? Keep right? it simple, baby. Right? Keep it simple. Yeah, I love. I like to hear the. Li- I want to hear the air. You know, I want to hear the people. That's it. So you're a, you're a man of the people, Andrew. Well, yo, trying to. Be- thanks for taking uh, ninety minutes on a on a Tuesday and speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me, man. I love your I love your music, and I hope uh, one day we can we can share a vodka soda again. <laughs> I hope so too. All right, yo, thanks, man. All right, I'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Right. Wow. That was intense. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. I had one of the best mystery friends ever. That was a good one, dude. Yeah. That good, was fun. Good job. He's awesome. Yeah. Super nice. I tried guy. to dig into the I tried to dig into the past. I saw that in some other interviews. Once he started getting into the past, it was a little he didn't get as much, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I tried too. And I also didn't get much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe one day I'll get better at this David Letterman style. You know, we'll really get into it with people. But yeah, come at that thing I was talking about it just happened the other day. I was playing Wake the Dead on drums. It's so much fun. I'm in the chorus, I'm in the verse. Then it gets to the bridge with this fucking snare fill, and I just can't play it. It's too yeah. fast. It's too fast. It's crazy. And then I just bail. It's not all about speed. And then I just put on an ISIS record again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I do thank Andrew for coming on to do this. If you want to uh, tweet at Comeback Kid, it's at CBK Tweets. Instagram, they're Comeback Kid underscore hardcore HC. Uh, yeah, new record coming, which is cool. Looks like 2021, we'll get a new Comeback Kid record. Excited about that. It sounds like it'll be a good one. It's got some, it's gonna have a lot of songs on it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said that uh, in one interview. He's like, I got 10 demos in a day. I'm like, woo, goodness gracious. And uh, yeah, no, that was, that was a fun one. So what about our situation? Uh, are you going to post these pictures of your ridiculous wristbands I'll on put our Patreon? Them on. I'll put them up. I'll put them, I'll put them somewhere. So these are the things you get with our Patreon if you join. <laughs> I make of fun of Brad's tiny little hands. Whatever I'm looking at right now, I, these are your kids' hands. I They're do, I do give them some. I do give some peeks into our backstage shenanigans sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll post them on Patreon. If you want to be a patron, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Going Off Track. Have a few uh, different options there. Um, Thank you to our loyal patrons. Um, also, thank you to uh, Tim and Gentleman Jim, who have exceeded on the Venmo tip this week. Gentleman Jim Norton coming with a tip. Jim, I feel who, like who, we just got the singer from Crucial Youth giving us a tip. I feel like that <laughs> that goes. I mean, that gives you some cred, doesn't I, it? For real? Yo, I mean, these people, you know, they've done enough for us. They don't need to... to 
we're more than happy to have them as listeners. But uh, thanks, both of you. And anybody else who is interested in just throwing us a little something, it's Venmo.com slash off track. Uh, you know, a buck is fine. You don't have to be a big spender like these cool guys. <laughs> <laughs> or you can. It's fine. I got this fancy new equipment now. I got oh, a real right. microphone. Let us know how Benny sounds. He's got a Yeah, new do rig. I sound better? Do I sound like Teddy Pendergrass? It sounds better to me, but I haven't. Because that's what I'm going for. You can do that now. See, with your pop filter. Hey, Brad, I got a question for you. Yeah. I'm going to go off track in our outro. How do you like that? It's a good place for it. Did you have chestnut trees growing up? Um, I get, yeah, yeah, I, we did, but I don't know that we did anything about it. Like what we didn't harvest chestnuts, but I remember throwing them at people. <laughs> I'm surprised you had them. Cause I just learned that almost every chestnut tree in America was killed. What? In like the forties or something like that by some like disease that killed chestnut. Well, yeah, trees. that's when I was a kid in the thirties. Yeah. Didn't we establish that already? <laughs> so that's why you see like chestnuts roasting by the open fire, but you don't often see chestnuts. No, man. I mean, I see chestnut trees all the time. Aren't chestnuts those like, they're those nuts that are like, they look like a fucking COVID-19 cell. The, like they're spiky. Isn't that a chestnut? Right. I have to do something now because I'm nervous. Are you going to look in <laughs> You gotta look it up. Chestnut nut. <laughs> no, okay, I'm right. I'm right. Yeah, okay, I'm right. So this yeah. wasn't bullshit. So I'm reading a book called The Overstory, right? By Richard Powers. Right, but I had I had we had these like we had these chestnuts. And I've seen them like I've seen them since. Like maybe at my dad's when I was home or I don't know. But I've seen chestnut seeds and yeah, I've even split them open and, and like showed the kids. I don't think I've ever like harvested them and cooked them though. Okay, so I'm right. I'm right, and I'm glad I'm right. You're so right. I'm reading that they a, all died. Yeah, I'm reading a book that I, I, you know, I knew it was fiction, but based in reality. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! I'm like, I just made an argument on a fictional book, but no, it did actually happen. So basically, the American chestnut tree survived for like 40 million years. Then it disappeared within 40. And it was because of like, uh, you know, a, um, I think like a beetle or a disease or one of those things. I actually, I do think it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a fungus (laughs) that killed the trees China, and, and then, you know, because all the forests were disappearing so fast, the forest service was like, any ones that are healthy, just cut down and use the wood before they die. Oh God. And that's where the answer to saving them was in the healthy trees. And then, yeah, within 40 years, like there was this like huge economy based around chestnut trees that just, that just died. Oh, maybe it's the, so these, the horse chestnut are the ones that I think I've seen <laughs> that look familiar. Definitely threw these at my brother when I was a kid. They're, mm. they're scary looking. I don't know if anyway. that's the same as the, Whatever. doesn't matter. I'm not sure. <laughs> this podcast is long enough. Yeah, this went out. But thanks you to the, cut this. the three people who are still listening. <laughs> God bless you. Hey, if you're still right. listening, obviously you care about horse chestnuts. So. Yeah, we're out. Listen, 
I love you all. I love you, Brad. Love you, Benny. I hope you have a great week. Send my best to the family. Same, all same my here. best to the going off track family. And uh, we'll see you with a wonderful guest next week. 